0: As I mentioned last week, all the Bethany campuses are spending the month of August in the New Testament letter of 1 Peter, 1 Peter, which we are starting this morning. Um, So for most campuses, that's uh, four Sundays in 1 Peter. For us, remember, because of Serve Day on August 21st, where we won't be in here for worship, we will be out serving uh, it 's just three Sundays uh, in First Peter, so think of it not as uh, like an exhaustive treatment of this letter, but sort of three three samplings from uh, from First Peter though I do encourage you to uh, during the month of August uh, take some time and read through the whole book. I actually looked it up on a Bible software I have and it if you listen to it out loud, the whole letter, it takes about 15 minutes. So that's the same as you know reading it out loud. So 15 minutes gives you the, the entire letter. You have a whole month. You can break it down in parts. But I think it's very doable and I think would be a blessing to you um, and all of us if we took time to read the whole letter through maybe a few times, and then, like I said, we'll have three Three messages uh, from First Peter a couple of kind of preliminary thoughts as we get started this morning. Remember that the Peter of First Peter is the Peter of the Gospels. Just a reminder on, on that point. and I think the letter of First Peter actually serves as a kind of corrective. Uh, to the impression that the gospel stories, with the help of preachers and teachers through the, through the centuries, uh, the impression that the, the gospel stories can give us of Peter, bumbling is too strong a word. I'm not suggesting bumbling's the right word, but there's, a, there's an element of in the gospels and the portrayal of P- Peter, uh, a more enthusiastic than thoughtful fisherman. Would that be fair? I'm, I'm trying to be accurate here. More enthusiastic than thoughtful. And I think the gospel, uh, the, the gospel can portray Peter as kind of the quintessential, uh, you know, ready, fire, aim, personality type. Uh, he gets stuff right and wrong in kind of equal measure. He can confess to Jesus that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus says, awesome, that's the rock on which my church will be built. That confession right there, Peter, you nailed it with the assistance of God, of course. And just a few verses later, he's telling Jesus, hey, no way should you go to Jerusalem and suffer. Just can't do it. And Jesus says what? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) So Peter's gone from the rock to Satan within about five verses in the gospel story. Peter said to Jesus, you know, these other guys might bail on you. I never will. I will never deny you And just a little bit later, of course, he's denied him three times. Uh, It's Peter, and this is after three years of being with the Prince of Peace, our Lord Jesus Christ, after three years, when Jesus is being arrested, it's Peter who takes off the ear of the servant of the high priest with his sword. Let's note that was not precision swordsmanship, right? He's going for the head, and Jesus has to say, Peter, Peter, put away your sword. That's that's not what the program's all about. And he heals the ear, by the way. Uh, But that's Peter. Um, It's Peter who the risen Jesus has to reinstate with those three, Uh, statements, questions uh, on the seashore there. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Uh, Most uh, readers of Scripture see this as the counterbalance to the three denials. So Peter is now uh, to the good again. So the Gospel, Peter, very much a man of action, even in a hit-and-miss kind of sense. First Peter, the letter, reminds us that Peter was also a man of deep thought, deep theological thought. There's profound Christian teaching in this letter. Yes, it's approximately 30 years later, so there's been some growth and development, but it's the same guy. So that's what I mean by the letter, sort of, balancing out almost the stereotype of Peter that, that we get through the Gospels. And what I would say about Peter is, you know, we can almost think of personality types. Yes, he's a man of great enthusiasm. He's a doer. And he's a the, deep theological thinker. He's both, which is a great combination. A person of action and a person of deep thought. So that's one just sort of preliminary thought. The second one has to do with the community that Peter is writing to. Um, He's writing to Christians who are scattered throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, Christians who are experiencing persecution for their faith in Jesus, for their faith in Jesus. It's not simply Christians living in a tough time you know, a time of poverty or war or natural disaster. But Christians suffering because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Remember, uh, it's the age of Nero who was a complete, I mean, I I think it's fair to say a psychopath. Uh, It's the age in which both Peter and Paul will be martyred by Nero, so it's a, vi- it's a violent age, and it's these Christian communities that are experiencing uh, persecution that Peter is writing to. A little bit of a challenge for us, because I think it's fair to say that uh, we live in a country where Christians are not persecuted in the same way. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, there are some court cases every now and then, uh, but, you know, by and large, the environment is pretty benign and even kind of faith-friendly, and what this does for me is cause me to think about places in the world today where that's not the case, and I think it's important for us in in our country in North America to remember their their places in the world where simply being a Christian can lead to suffering and persecution and it challenges me to be mindful of these brothers and sisters in Christ and to pray for them okay today's text uh, first Peter chapter 1 and what struck me as I read and studied this chapter was kind of the time or the timeline element in Peter's words. And I'd, I'd like to use this kind of time framework uh, for my message today. In your bulletin, you'll see that I've, I've given the message, the title, uh, The Past, Present, and Future Gospel. and I'd li- So I'd like to comment on each of those, but I'm going to flip the order a little bit. And I think, I hope, it makes sense why I'm doing that uh, as, as you hear the message. And I want to go past, there's some in chapter 1 that is looking back, then I want to go future, there's a bunch in chapter 1 that's looking at, to the future, and then I want to go present. And I'll just tip you off to kind of my main point of my message today, is that as Christians we very much live in the present but we do so mindful of God's past and mindful of God's future. In fact, we find strength in both of those perspectives. We face today mindful of the past and mindful of the the future. So let's start with the past, the past of the gospel. As Peter addresses these exiled, suffering communities, uh, he reminds them this is booming a lot. Is, is, is there anything I am doing wrong? Okay, just fix your ears so you don't hear the booms. Or I, I, I don't know what we can do here. Uh, I'll say less boomy things. Um, but uh, he addresses these suffering communities and he reminds them of past events, both, and track with me on this, both events kind of in space-time in human history, and events or realities, and I know we're getting into like deep water with this statement, but events or realities that existed prior to creation. It's like pre-history in God's eternity. And I want to give you examples of what I'm talking about. In verse 3, he reminds his readers that they have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Remember, Peter saw Jesus crucified, dead, and buried. He witnessed that. And he saw the empty tomb. And he met personally the risen Christ on multiple occasions. So this past event, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, is absolutely foundational in Peter's thinking. In verse 10, he goes, he goes further back in human time uh, to these Old Testament prophet, prophets he makes reference to, who prophesied regarding the Messiah and his suffering and his glory and the salvation that Messiah would bring to God's people. In verse 18, he describes this salvation in terms of being ransomed, past tense, by the precious blood of Christ. And by the way, this is language from the ancient, in the ancient world, the slave market, someone paying a price, the ransom, and gaining possession of the one ransomed. God's people are possessed by God based on the past price paid by Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says the exact same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. Paul says, We are not our own, but we were what? We were bought with a price. It's the same Im- image, metaphor, that's being used. These past events centered in the death and resurrection uh, of Jesus comprise the first segment of this past timeline I'm working with, but it gets even better. Peter goes further back. Pre-time, eternity, in verses 1 and 2, Peter refers to the election and foreknowledge of God Now, not to go all Calvinist and Presbyterian on you, though I am a Presbyterian and kind of a Calvinist, I guess I would say. That's my background. But these terms, election and foreknowledge, can only be understood as part of the mindset of God, the choice of God from all eternity. And Peter himself supports this in verse 20. He writes, he, uh, Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, was foreknown, there's that word again that he used at the opening of the letter, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Again, deep water here. Our finite minds struggle to grasp this sort of infinite, eternal reality. But let me summarize it this way. Here's how I read it. God's love for you, revealed in space and time, revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, reflects the eternal heart of God for you. God has always loved you. There was never a time when God did not love you. That, I believe, is what Peter It's trying to capture here. Jeremiah says God has loved us with an everlasting love. It's always been there. Paul writes the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1. God chose us, election, God chose us in Christ. When? On that seashore in Galilee, when he said, follow me. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. There never has been a time when God did not love and, in effect, choose us to belong to him. Peter seeks to encourage these persecuted, scattered Christians by first having them look back... In both time, back to death and resurrection of Jesus, even the prophets that were anticipating that, and eternity, the everlasting love of God. Um, It occurred to me, we all have a past, each of us sitting here. Where we were born, the family we grew up in, the experiences that we've had. And for most of us, our past is probably a kind of a mixed bag. Um, I think that's a fair statement. Um, Hopefully lots of good. Probably some not so good. And a lot of in between. But I like that Peter reminds his readers and us today, never forget that the foundational event in our history for all believers is the decision by God to love us through his son, Jesus Christ. God is all in on us. That's our legacy. And yes, we all need to deal with the painful stuff from our past, a parent who failed us, a circumstance that injured us, a disappointment that crushed our spirit. But I would suggest that as followers of Jesus, we deal with all that stuff within the context of God's everlasting love for each one of us as revealed in Jesus. So that's past. That's our first time segment the past. Second, we jump to the future. Remember, I'm going out of order a little bit here. Uh, but this future focus is everywhere in First Peter. In verse 4, Peter refers to the, the believer's inheritance, future word, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, being kept in heaven for you, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time the greek word there kairos eschaton if maybe you've read a book about eschatology eschaton is the final the final thing so the, literally it's the final time in verse 7 peter refers to his readers faith tried and tested to be sure that will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Greek word there, revelation, apocalypse. So we have eschaton and apocalypse. This is all future focus. It's what's coming. Verse 13, believers are to set their hope fully on the grace of God that will be brought to you at, same word now, apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Words like eschaton, apocalypse, point us to God's future, the omega point of human history in which Christ returns and establishes the new heaven and the new earth. The Apostle Paul liked to refer to this end point as simply the day, in Greek, the parousia, The day, Paul would just refer to the day, and it was clear he meant this day that would come in the eschaton when Jesus Christ would be revealed to everyone, apocalypse. In fact, the New Testament really speaks in one voice here. Uh, While as with Peter's first century readers, This life can be filled with trials and temptations, suffering and injustice, the long shadow of the valley of death. A day is coming as as assuredly as Jesus was raised from the dead when Christ shall return on that day and in Paul's words, Philippians 2, and every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Note, it's not, and all believers' knees will bow, and all believers' uh, tongues will confess. No, it's everybody will see on that day that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he then will usher in the new Jerusalem and... Revelation 21, God himself will be with his people and he will wipe away every tear, every tear. And death shall be no more, neither mourning, crying, or pain. All things will be made new. That's our future. Another age reference, I'm sorry about this. Uh, most of my life, there existed an evangelist named Billy Graham. Have you heard of Billy Graham? Oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Uh, Billy Graham was iconic in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts died in 2018 at the age of 99 and preached the gospel, golly, just everywhere. And I should say, he carried out his entire ministry without a whiff of scandal, impropriety, or financial malfeasance. He was just the gold standard. Um actually had the privilege of hearing him preach twice which which was great but i bring him up because he used to say that he was very much a person of hope because he had peeked at the last page you know like when you're reading a novel or something sometimes you want to know what happens and he said he's peeked at the last pages of the bible and god and his kingdom are victorious So it's just this super positive, hopeful future orientation. It's a thoroughly New Testament point of view on life. The future is bright. The victory of God is sure. The purposes and plans of God will be fulfilled in and for creation. That's future. Then, okay, finally with God's past and God's future nailed down, Peter addresses the present. The present. Again, remember that Peter's hearers were suffering and persecuted communities, and he's going to address their current suffering, for sure, but he takes an incredibly, I would call it a God-centered or faith-centered approach to the present, In verse 3, he reminds them that they have been born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So they are to live then, live now as people of hope. He tells them, verse 5, that they are being, and currently, present tense, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. But currently, presently, Guarded. Verse 6, even in their trials, <clears throat> they are to rejoice, present tense, demonstrating the genuineness of their faith, verse 7. Though they can no longer see Christ physically, verse 8, quote, they love him, believe in him, and rejoice in him with inexpressible joy, present tense, Verse 13, they are to set their hope fully on the coming grace of God. Verse 14, they are to live holy lives in all their conduct, present tense, live holy lives in all their conduct as the one who has called them is holy. Verse 22, they are to have a sincere, brotherly, sisterly love for one another. And then verse 25, there to remember all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Verse 24, and this word that remains is the gospel. They have received, present tense. So here's the teaching in a nutshell, and I, I tip my hand right at the beginning, mindful of God's past and fully cognizant of God's future, we are to live now as the faithful people of God. Within that context, we are God's people, whether persecuted and suffering or whether like flawed and imperfect, we are the people of God and God has pledged himself to us. Uh, Just a a final thought. I watched recently uh, the movie Zero Dark Thirty. I don't know if any of you saw it. It's about the hunt for Osama bin Laden. And there's a great scene. It takes place in the headquarters of the CIA in Islamabad. And there's this all hands on deck meeting of every operative. They're around a big table in a room, and the the big boss is there, and he's there to really to chew them out. Like it's not a happy meeting. It's a (laughs) we're getting chewed out meeting. But uh, and he makes it real clear it's they are failing in their their mission. They have not found. Osama Bin Laden, and he has this line, and this is why I'm sharing it. He he says to them, there is not another team working on this problem. There is not another floor in this building filled with analysts who are trying to find Osama Bin Laden. You're it. You're it. And I like that because it, it sort of <laughs> brings to focus the mission. And I was thinking of us as a church, us as Christians. All that's talked about with respect to the mission of the church and who the church is to be in the present, in the world, you know, we could get a whiteboard and create a big list of things the church is to be and to do. Guess what? We're it. Now, yeah, there are other churches who are it, too. But we're it. God will use us to accomplish his mission. And the good news is we lack nothing. We lack nothing. We have all the spiritual resources we need. What God has done in the past, what God will do in the future, and what God is doing in the present. We have all the resources we need to be a people of hope and ministry in the world today. I'm going to stop there. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Uh, so, Lord, I, I pray that this perspective of 1 Peter... Uh, through your Holy Spirit, would be our perspective. Uh, Help us to be mindful of the past and your past, mindful of your future, but to be focused on the present and to be about the ministry and the mission that you call us to. Uh, This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.